Hi, I'm the Ish Girl, and you're listening to episode 83 of In the Middle of It, the podcast where parents and teachers can find ideas, strategies, and resources for connecting with teens. Hey there, I'm Amy, also known as the Ish Girl, and I'm so glad that you're with me today. Now, if you've been with me a while, you know that my oldest teen just graduated from high school a couple of weeks ago. He's going to be heading to college in a couple of months, and that is still something that seems so surreal and bizarre to me and to my husband. But I have to admit, it's getting more real every day, especially because I have this weird thing that I do. Somehow, my mind is a steel trap when it comes to remembering specifics when it comes to dates of events. Just to give you an idea, I I still remember exactly the date of the very first date that I went on, which was May 15th, 1987. I remember the first time my husband and I met, which was on August 23rd, 1992. I found out I was pregnant with my oldest on December 12th of 2000, and so added to that weird quirkiness, my mind does this relational math is what I would call it. So just to give you an example, my mind goes to places like, okay, my parents were younger than I am right now when my husband and I got married. Or I think about things like my grandmother, when she was the same age I am right now, I was already seven years old. Or even things like, um, let's see, my grandmother was with me when my son was born, not in the same room or anything like that, but just here with me to help and that kind of thing. And the age she was then is the same age that my mom is now. So for whatever reason, my mind just works that way. It's a quirkiness that I have that makes my family laugh. So it's no surprise to anyone in my family that I have actually looked up how many days we have left with Patrick before we drop him off at his dorm for college. So with all the COVID factors, we don't have an exact move-in date yet, but I'm going by the first day of classes, and going by that, we have less than 70 days left with him. I know, right? And in case you're wondering how my brain works, that line of thinking led me to reflect on all the years that we've had with him which led to a lot of thoughts that begin with, I wish I had, or I wish I hadn't. And those thoughts led me to think about all the wish I hads and hadn'ts that I have from my teaching days, which is what led to this podcast. Because today I'm going to be talking about all the things I wish I'd done differently with my teens, not just my own two, but with the ones that I had in my classroom as well. And let me revise that a little bit because this certainly isn't my complete list, but when I sat down to just jot a quick list, these were the things that came to mind first. And I do have to say, this really wasn't an easy episode to prep for. I have made no secret of the fact that one of my biggest challenges is my pride. But I've also made a commitment to being real and authentic with you all, and so I'm just going to dive right in. Okay, the first of my regrets would be clinging to control. And in my classroom, that manifested as perfectionism, like the kind where nobody can do it as well as I do, so I'm not going to turn over any control of anything to anyone, especially not my 
you know, young teen students, which was a horrible, horrible attitude to have. And I regret that because I look back and I see how I could have really drawn my students in to the classroom experience by giving them um, jobs and duties and responsibilities that would have really helped me out too, to be honest. Things like um, making sure I had a makeup work folder that was up to date with all of the, you know, all the things that somebody who missed class might need or taking attendance or, you know, there's just a lot of little clerical things that I could have handed off. And I know that the students that I had would have been able to really, um, you know, fulfill those roles quite easily and well. Now, with my parenting, it's a little bit of a different twist because I feel like my clinging to control has manifested in fear in my parenting. And what I mean by that is that I feel like in the past, I often chose safety over um, helpful life experiences. So my husband and I really talked about this a lot lately, where we wish we had been a little bit more flexible with some of the things that we allowed our kids to do and that we had not made decisions out of fear for their safety or fear for their mental and spiritual well-being and and all those things. I think we made some good choices, sure, but there are definitely things that looking back um, that we would let them do that at the time we told them no. But again, hindsight's 2020. These are my regrets. Okay, the next thing that I regret, and um, this may seem like a weird one because I don't feel like, I, I feel like I learned it as soon as I could. I got to it as soon as I could. And thank you very much to my friend Tammy Scow for this. But I regret not understanding what was developmentally appropriate with my kids in the moment. And so what that has looked like in my classroom and with my teens here at home is instead of looking at their behaviors and their actions and maybe even, well, not maybe even, but definitely some of the things that have been more um, more troublesome to me or, or ones that I have not reacted well to, it was because I took them personally instead of being able to step back and say, oh, wait, okay, the way that they're acting right now is absolutely exactly what they need to be doing to grow and progress and to become the adult human beings that they're going to become. And I don't need to take it personally. So um, taking it personally often led me to reacting instead of responding in situations and um, hurt feelings and escalation and all that kind of thing. So I really do wish that I had had that information in hand um, sooner, but again, live and learn. But that leads right into the taking things personally leads right into my third biggest regret, which would be playing a victim. And this first reared its head when I was teaching school. And I think I may have shared this story before, but I'm going to share it again, because, you know, I think the example bears repeating, which is my very first year of teaching, I was working at a very diverse school. And I took a classroom of kids to the library at the beginning of the school year where the library who was an older lady who I think I actually think it was her last year to be a librarian before she retired so she was older and she was horrible to my students and in front of them talked to me in in terms that were um, inappropriate and prejudiced and biased and 
just wholly awful. Like the whole thing was just awful. And at the time, I was positioning myself in my head as one of the students that she was kind of perpetrating this against. And later that day, I was in the computer lab with the lady who was the tech teacher, basically, she would help facilitate in the computer lab. And she was a lady who had teen daughters of her own. And I was explaining, isn't this awful that this librarian did this? And she looked at me straight in the eyes, and I will never forget this. And I appreciate it so, so much. And she said, you're not a victim here, Amy. You're the teacher. It is your job and your duty to step up for these kids and show up for them and advocate for them. And I just, I, wow. It was a punch in the gut that I needed desperately because I needed to have my eyes open to the fact that Yes, I was the adult in the situation, and it was my job and my privilege, really, to stand up for those kids that were in my classroom and to not subject them to that kind of um, hatred, really. So, um, so there was that as far as playing the victim. And then as a mom, I am really conscious or try to be really conscious of if my thoughts ever turn towards anything like, oh, why are they doing this to me when my kids are being developmentally appropriate or just, you know, um, if, if the interactions that we're having are painful or frustrating or whatever, if, if I hear the words, why are they doing this to me, like the to me would be the red flag there, then I know that I'm into that victim mentality again. And I have to take a step back and say, wait a second, they're not doing this to me. I'm the mom. I know that what they're doing is separating from me and I can kind of run their behavior past the whole list of things that um, that I know to be developmentally appropriate and and hold it up to that and realize, okay, how can I show up here as the grown up so that I'm guiding them and helping them in this moment versus looking at myself as, as a victim where some where my teens are perpetrating something against me. So um, that would be the third one playing a victim. And then my fourth regret and, and I know this is one that really frustrates my kids sometimes. And that is um, not following through all the way. And I, I know I've shared before that I am more of a big picture thinker and details are things that I really struggle with. And so I have some really great ideas sometimes, but I've learned to tone it down because a lot of times my big ideas are just those and I don't follow through. So I have to be careful with that. So in a school setting, the one instance that I remember this particularly is there was a student that I had and um, I let the kids listen to music in class, but I was the one picking it out. And one of my students came and said, hey, can we listen to this particular band? And um, I'm like, well, I'll check into it and see, because at the school I was in, it was very clear any kind of media that we put in front of the kids had to be approved. And it was very um, structured in that way. And so what I should have done what I could have done, I should say, because I don't want to should myself, but what I could have done and what I was 
literally telling her I would do is vet the music, like go through and listen to a few of the songs and then do a, um, there was a form that we had to fill out and turn into the administration to get approval and go through the process. And then we could listen to the music. Well, I never did it. I never followed through with that. And um, I think about that and I think, man, I did not show up in the way that I wanted to as a teacher in that instance. And then here at home, I would say in the past year, um, and, and just full disclosure here, with my daughter, because she is amazing at follow through, and she is amazing, not only at the details, but at the big pictures, uh, big picture as well. She's just one of those people. And um, last year was very difficult and frustrating for her and for me too, for different reasons. Um, around the same issue. And that was this. She wanted to get her learner's permit as soon as she possibly could. And we didn't get it done before her marching band season started. And right after that, she went straight into prepping for her. um, She's a part of the mock trial team in her school. And so she went straight into prepping for that. So it really wasn't until later in the spring when the deadline to complete the driving portion of the driver's class that she had already started taking, it was coming to an end. Like we would have to pay money to extend this time. And so, so that she could finish those hours of driving with an instructor. So first I couldn't find her social security card. I tore our house up looking everywhere for it. So we had to go and reapply for a social security card. And in the meantime, we were trying to get a uh, passport for her because she went on an international mission trip last summer. So we had to get that done as well. So I found one copy of her birth certificate. I I really think I have more. They must be hidden somewhere where that social security card is. Anyway, we took the application and her birth certificate and we went and we applied for that. Well, we didn't realize that they were going to take the birth certificate and mail it along with the application to the government and we would have to wait for them to send it back. So when we went, we finally got the social security card, we realized, oh no, we don't have another copy of her birth certificate because we have to wait for it to come back with her passport. So it was just, I would love to be able to call it a comedy of errors, but it was not funny for any of us, least of all her. She was very upset that I wasn't more organized and, and that I didn't take better care of our our documents and paperwork, which, um, you know, I'd like to say in my defense, well, I try my best, blah, blah, blah. And I do, but she's right. I, you know, that is one of the areas that I struggle. And it's hard, it's hard, hard, hard to admit that you're wrong, or at least it is for me. Again, it's no secret that I struggle with pride. So that was kind of how the not follow through showed up on our family, my family side of things, because with my daughter, it just, it was just such a long process to do something that I know she, she was expecting to be easy and Um, I know I could have done things differently, so it would have been easy. So it was just hard. The whole thing was hard. Okay. And then the last thing that I'm going to share that I have regrets about is one that you may not suspect. It may be a surprise. And that is this. I look back and I regret not taking care of myself physically because I know 
when I don't have a good mind-body connection, when I'm not paying attention to the cues that my body is giving me that I need sleep or that I need food or that I need a mental break or whatever it is, then I'm not showing up the way I want to for my teens. So thinking back to my teaching career, this was especially true in my last year of teaching. And there were definitely extenuating circumstances, but I think, again, if I had had more mind, body, physical awareness, I could have managed things better. And the situation was this, the the previous summer to that last year of teaching that I did, I had lost a baby. My husband and I had had a miscarriage and we were still trying to, to start our family. But as part of that miscarriage, as um as we kind of walked through that, we discovered that I had a congenital heart issue that I had to have some procedures done to take care of. And I had all that done right before school started. And so I started the year, I feel like a little bit tired, a little bit not myself. And and you add to that the emotional stress that was going on with, with my husband and I trying to get pregnant and, and being sad about the loss that we had. And anyway, I just remember um, there was a day in class when I just broke down. And I wasn't upset with my kids. I wasn't angry with my students. I was just really sad. And I had just, I just had reached a breaking point. And you guys know, I've shared before that I have a faith, a strong faith. And I truly believe this was God providing in the moment because my administrator was walking by my classroom at that particular moment, saw me, came in, and this is my amazing principal from the, uh, from Rachel Carson Middle School where I taught. Her name was Gail Womble, and I love her. Gail, if you are listening right now, just know that I still think you're awesome, and we do still communicate some. And anyway, she came in, she took over my class, she sent me to the bathroom to clean myself up and pull myself together. And so I went, I did that, and I came back. So I'm so fortunate that she was um, compassionate and understanding with me because, hello, it's my job, and I just had a flip out in front of my students. So not my best moment. Now, as a mom, as a parent, I know that if I am tired or hungry or whatever, I am not showing up as the best that I can be, especially if I'm not articulating it and trying to set some boundaries. Like a lot of times my kids know I will say, you know what, I want to hear what you have to say. I need to have a snack or I need to have a nap before we have this conversation. So I do try to 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 do that, to manage that now. But there were times in the past when, again, I was not making that mind-body connection. And so it ended up with me being, um, you know, super grumpy and snapping at them or, or whatever. And this was so true last year when I took the two of them on a, tri- a spring break trip. I know I talked to you guys about it this um, last year. And we drove over the course of a week, we drove from North Texas up to Kansas City, from Kansas City over to Ohio to visit some friends and then back home. And hello, like, can we go back to number one and talk about clinging to control? Because at the time, my son had his learner's permit. He didn't have his full license yet. He had his learner's permit. He absolutely could have driven for some of that and probably should have to give him the practice that he needed before he got his license. 
but I drove the whole way and I was so tired that I, I mean, it was miserable for me. It was miserable for them because I snapped a lot. And I remember, I just seriously remember pulling over into a parking lot at one point during the drive, knowing that I had several more hours to go before we hit the next destination and just telling the kids, put your headphones in, pull out your books, read, do whatever, just please be quiet because I'm going to take a 15 minute nap. And I did, like I felt right asleep there in the car sitting in a parking lot. So not good, totally not good. So taking care of myself physically, listening to those cues that tell me I need to be taking care of myself again, um, physically with eating or drinking water or having a rest or taking a mental break. Um, I, I really, that's one of my goals for this year is to really pay close attention to that. So I'm showing up the way that I want to. Okay, so there you have it. Those five things that I most regret with my teens, definitely not the complete list, but, but I thought that would be plenty for today. And I do want to let you know that if you are not part of my weekly email list, I would just encourage you to be part of that because this week I share a little bit more about this list that I created and what it meant to me as I wrote it and and um, a little a few more details. So definitely sign up to be part of that part of that list so that I can get that information to you if you're interested. But for now, what I'm going to share with you guys is that writing this list was hard. And it also reminded me that I need to stay in my ish girl space. And that is that place where I have grace for myself when I've messed up or flaked out again. Now, if you've been with me for a while, you may notice that I dropped the word humorous from that little catchphrase that I use to describe what an ish girl is. Normally, it sounds like this. One who has humorous grace with herself when discovering she's messed up or flaked out again. And the reason I took humorous out is because I feel like my list is not funny. It's not humorous. And I think the reason why for me is that it's so much easier to have humor about my mistakes when I'm the only one affected by them. When my mistakes impact the people I love, the people that I'm working with, it is much harder to have humor and have compassion with myself because the impact is outside my control. And I'm sharing this because I have a feeling that you might have been there too. Whether you're a teacher or a parent, I want to remind you that you are first and foremost a human and we mess up. And the thing is, when we model what it looks like to have grace and compassion with ourselves, and we work to reconcile and reconnect with the people that we have affected with our mistakes, namely in this situation, our teens, that is super powerful. Because honestly, it is not a matter of if we're going to mess up. It's a matter of when. You're going to mess up. Your teen is going to mess up. Your spouse is going to mess up. Like there's just no doubt in that. Like that is a given. And in the bigger picture, I would say it is not about being perfect or not making those mistakes. It's not about being right all the time or being above reproach or being able to blame someone else. It's about taking responsibility and it's a, 
about relationship. Like that's the big thing is the relationship that you're building. And when you can show up and take responsibility for your mistakes and make reparations and say you're sorry and work to keep those doors of communication open, again, that is super powerful. And it's a super powerful example, particularly for our teens. Okay. Thank you, friends, for hanging with me today. Again, this has been um, a little bit hard. There were definitely sometimes I wanted to scratch some of these out and say something that would make me sound super awesome, but I refrained because, again, I want to be real and authentic and talk to you guys about this hard stuff that goes on when we're raising our teenagers and teaching our teenagers. So thank you for having grace with me as I shared the good and the bad and the ugly today. I really appreciate that. Just a quick FYI, I am unfortunately, speaking of mistakes, experiencing some technical difficulties with my website. I have someone who's helping me with it even as I speak right now, but I have no idea what the timeline is going to look like for getting it back up to speed. So last week's episode show notes, I'm struggling with those a little bit. I think you could probably hit some of those links if you want to, but this week, right now, I'm not going to have show notes. So As soon as I can, I will get those up once everything is back in shape. So I'll let you guys know when that's all better. (laughs) Okay. Again, it is such a privilege to be part of your day. Thank you for uh, listening. And if this has been helpful in any way or struck a chord with you, I would love to hear about that. You can DM me on Facebook or on Instagram, and I will respond to you personally on those messages. And I would also love for you to head to iTunes and go to my podcast and leave me a rating and a review. And the reason I'm asking you to do that is because if you found this valuable, someone else might too. And I would love to get this message of humor and healing and reconciliation and connection out to as many people as I can. So I appreciate you guys doing that. Okay, from an ish girl who hopes you are enjoying the start of summer, whatever that may look like for you in these crazy times of COVID, I am so grateful to be in the middle of it together.